1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. So it reminds you again that Peter is writing to a, a smallish, and that's a technical term, smallish group of people, a smallish group of believers specifically, who are massively outnumbered and who are facing incredible hostility. They're facing persecution. They're facing uh, accusations. They're facing frustration. They are they're facing danger. All because they believe in Jesus Christ as the one who came to save them from their sins, to give them a right relationship with God himself. They were going through incredible suffering, persecution, and difficulty. How about you? That one's just fine. <laughs> how, about, how about you guys? Any, anybody, anybody wrestling in their souls? Not, not because of your, your typical day-in, day-out frustrations of life and trying to follow Christ in the middle of a broken place, not, not just because of your average day, but because there's some level of external pressure being applied to you in some way. There's, there's, there's suffering that is being poured out in your life that you don't think you deserve, it's unfair, you're being cruelly treated. How about you? Let's read First Peter chapter 3, starting verse 13. Peter says this, to bring, in, well, let me read it before I get ahead of myself. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Jesus Christ, the Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I will admit right at the beginning, Peter's words in the first verses there can be a little confusing, so let's walk through that real quick. Okay, so he says, First of verse 13, who then? So he's, he's reacting to the, verses, the verse just previous to that, verse 12, when, when Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer, and he's, his, faith, his face uh, stands against those who do evil. And, and, and because of that, who then is going to harm you if you are devoted to what is good? How can you be harmed if you are intensely pursuing what is good? Because, as his argumentation continues, God's got us, Right? But then the very next phrase, he says, but even if you should suffer, and, and so there seems to be some competing thoughts there. Who can harm you? But, but if you should suffer, you need to know something. How, how does that go together? Well, Peter continues, if you should suffer, you are blessed. Let's deal with that real quick. What does it mean to be blessed? He doesn't mean that sufferings are pleasant or else they wouldn't be sufferings. What, 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 what Peter is saying here, who's going to harm you? 
Even if you do suffer, you'll be blessed. What Peter is saying here is what you have in Jesus Christ will never be taken. Ever. He's using it the same way Paul did in Romans chapter 8 when, when he talked about who will separate us from the love of God. Who, who can possibly separate us? It won't be death. It won't be life. It won't be angels. It won't be rulers. It won't be things present or things to come. It won't be powers or height or depth or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can truly harm us even though they may harm us. We, we <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into the guilt that I am, okay? It's really me. But we struggle when we read verses that tell us we're going to suffer, don't we? Don't we, don't we struggle with that? We, we don't like verses that, that tell us we're going to suffer because I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, I don't think we really believe that we're ever really going to suffer. We've been lulled into this sense of numbness, so we really don't even believe that we will, in fact, suffer. In fact, we really like to focus on verses like Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So in the middle of difficult times, you let that light shine, and what you are going to see is a revival breakout in those people. We cling to that verse. We really like that one, don't we? We really don't like... Matthew 5, 10, 11, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you, and persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. We don't like that verse very much, do we? We don't like, we, we, we certainly... Don't like Matthew 5, 10. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or Philippians 1, 29. It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. No, not a fan of that verse at all. We're not studying that one. I just want to follow Jesus Christ and everything will be okay. The problem is in Timothy, Paul says, who all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. Suffering and persecution will come. We, we need to understand that. We need to believe that suffering is to be expected across this world every day. To more than 200 million Christians are persecuted for their belief in Jesus Christ. And not a single one of them is sitting in this room. And that's why we don't believe we'll suffer. Across the world, I spent this weekend talking to people who, who live in this life, working with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and every day, from, from imprisonment to torture to murder, they suffer for their belief in Jesus Christ. And for us, it's not full-blown persecution, but, but there is suffering to be, be expected, right? We, we might be threatened when we stand for Jesus. We may not be invited to the same parties anymore when we cling to Jesus. Friends may ditch us when we seek to hold on to Jesus. But more than likely, the, the biggest persecution you will experience in our country today is a raised eyebrow when you bow your head to pray at a restaurant. Maybe, maybe you may be mocked for taking a stand that just sounds too old-fashioned in our culture today. 
Let's just be honest. Christianity is falling more and more out of public acceptance. It used to be just part of the culture, but, but it's falling more and more out of public acceptance. Some people really love parts of our faith. They really love the whole forgiveness idea. They really love the whole go the extra mile teaching of Jesus. But you start talking about the, the biblical view of a sexual ethic. You start telling people that their only hope lies not in how good they think they are, but in how sinful they are. And acknowledging that they're a sinner and their only hope is in Jesus Christ, you start talking about that in public and you start getting a little bit of hate speech thrown at you. I don't want to scare you. I want to terrify you. Because until you get to that moment where you understand that suffering is to be expected, you won't prepare for it. We must understand there is a cost to being different, to following Jesus Christ. There is a cost to being in the battle. You, you go just north from here, right? You go to the, the fields of Gettysburg, one of the coolest places in this area, just to walk around for a little while and try to understand the history is there. Four years plus we've been here, and I have barely touched a piece of that land. It's huge. It's massive. And what you need to understand is that more than 7,000 soldiers gave their life on those fields. More than 10,000 went missing. More than 35,000 were injured. Do you think it surprised them when they heard the first bullet whistle past their head? Do you think they were shocked to hear their artillery fire? Do you think they were surprised when the commander said, we're, we're about to battle? No. Why? They're soldiers. It's what they do. They're prepared for the battle. Persecution will come. You must be ready. How? How do you, how do you deal with a fearful heart when you know the kids in your class are going to laugh at you because you follow Jesus Christ? How, 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 do, how do you handle the, the hate speech, the vitriolic speech that is thrown your way when you answer a question that they throw at you about the sexual ethic in Scripture? What do you do when the rumors begin to spread about you? How do you prepare yourself? Peter continues, he says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How do you prepare yourself for persecution? You fix your heart on Jesus Christ. It's everything we did this morning so far. It was a reminder of the hope we have in Christ. How, how do you fix your heart in Jesus? Let me, let me be clear. I think um, Christianity has kind of taken the, that word heart and has made it something very cheap. I believe in my heart that I ask Jesus into my heart. What we need to understand is it's not just this internal personal experience. The heart is the seat of everything you do. It is the throne of your life. And everything comes from your heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep your heart with all diligence because it is the source of life. Think, think about it this way. It's a really goofy way to think about it. <laughs> Ever been in love? Says the guy who just said he wanted to terrify you. Ever been in love? Think about it. Think about those, those early moments of that relationship. The butterflies, the heart would skip a little bit. And, and, and it didn't matter if your parents wanted to know about the person you were in love with. They were going to hear about them. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? 
Everything about you, you just, you can't get it off. You can't stop talking to them. I, I realized uh, this week in particular, cell phones are a wonderful gift. Cell phones are a great um, tool to communicate with my wife. However, it becomes a huge problem knowing that I could text her or call her at any moment. Because I find myself like, I'm just like, hi, in a meeting, bored out of my skull. N- never happens here, ever. Um, and not in ministry. It must be other meetings, so that doesn't happen. But uh, I, I, and I can't stop. It's always something. It's always, you just can't stop talking to them. All you do is wrapped up in them. That, that's what it means in your heart, what it means to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ as holy in your heart, what it means to, in your heart, regard Christ the Lord as, as holy. Your entire being is wrapped up in Jesus. And because your entire being is wrapped up in Jesus, everything you do oozes him. You see evidence of him everywhere in your life. Would you think about who he is? God in flesh. Who, who humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, but willingly took upon himself the form of a servant. Not just, you know, poof, he's a man. He came and was born as a baby who needed his diaper to be changed. The God who created the universe needed to learn how to walk. And he did that so that he could come in in, in indented humanity on a rescue mission that we can't even begin to imagine. Think about what you have when, because Jesus died for you. Your sins, as many and as terrible as they might be, have been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. He took your sin upon himself and he put on you his righteousness. It was a trade that wasn't fair even in the slightest bit. He died as an act of grace and mercy to bring you salvation, a salvation that Peter tells us earlier in his book that prophets longed to be a part of and understand that angels just wanted to peer into because it was so magnificent and so huge they couldn't even wrap their angelic minds around it. Think about what you have because Jesus lives. You have a living hope. Other religions in the world throw that word hope around, but their hope is always anchored in what I do, how well I do it, and how often I do it. Our hope is unearned, undeserved, anchored in a living Savior. Jesus Christ promises not only to be with you in this moment, but he promises to share his victory with you for all of eternity. What Peter says is, persecution is going to come. You need to be prepared. And the way that you need to be prepared is that you must fix your heart on Jesus Christ. And when you fix your heart on Jesus Christ, you will not fear what they fear. That's probably the most accurate translation of that phrase at the end of verse um, 14 there. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. You will not fear what they fear. Think about this. So, so the world around us, the ones who are bringing persecution against you or oppressing you, the, they, the things that they hope in, the, those things are temporal. Those things are, are material. And when you put your hope in something that is temporal or something that is material, there's an insecurity that comes with it because it, it can't possibly stand up to the eternal value test, which this is really goofy and clunky and awkward, but I heard this this week and it really helped me kind of grab onto this. It's, it's finishing that eternal value um, uh, test, which, which says to live is blank, 
to die is gain. So what can you fill in that blank that makes that second half of that sentence true? To die is gain. So, so to live is money. To die is gain? No. When you die, you can't take your money with you. You lose it. To live is cars. To die is uh, to lose all the cars. To live is professional advancement. To die is lose that too. The only thing that can fill that blank and make that sentence true is to live is Jesus Christ. To die, it's the culmination of that relationship with Jesus Christ. You get all of him for all of eternity. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you anchor your hope in anything else, you have no hope. But if you anchor anchor your hope in Jesus like that, seeking him, clinging to him, pursuing him, seeking to honor and please him, knowing that you can't really be harmed, you have fixed your heart on Jesus Christ, you no longer fear, and then he says, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. All right. Um, I don't make it a practice to lie to you, so my next statement may sound a little funny. I need to tell you the truth. Try to do that every week, but this is the way that I tell you this one might sting a little bit. Many, I'll say us, many of us have been so busy running from the boogeyman that we have stopped fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's promised. You are so intimidated by different things, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little bit, but you are so overwhelmed by the what ifs and did you hear and I want to know the real story behind the stories and all of those different things that you have ceased fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ and instead you've allowed yourself to to let your gaze fall on all of those other things instead of fixing your gaze on Jesus. It's, it's, It's like climbing. It's climbing. I hate heights. I do heights. I'll do the lift in here, a ladder every once and again when I hunt, gotta climb a tree. I hate heights. You get up to the top and it's like, it's almost as if your muscles are like, yeah, we ain't going any higher. You're trying to reach that arm. And what does everybody on the ground say to somebody who is climbing? Don't look down. Really helpful, isn't it? What's the next thing you're going to do as you're climbing? Look down. It's like if I say to you right now, don't think of the number 73. Think of every other number. Just don't think of 73, okay? What is the natural reflex to that? 73. Why am I thinking of 73 all the time now? Don't look down. And as you're climbing, you begin, you begin to look down, and all of a sudden you are filled instead of with, with the focus on where your hand needs to go next, where your foot needs to be placed. Now you're focusing on the painful potential of what happens if you slip. You start asking yourself the questions, if I fall, can I land and bounce? Um, do, can I, can I like, get into a, another branch to soften the fall? Am I going to hit that person? That would be really embarrassing. You're so busy looking down. You stop paying attention to where your hands are supposed to go. And then eventually, ah,
Stop staring at the election. Fix your gaze on Jesus Christ. Stop staring at COVID. Fix your gaze on Jesus Christ. Stop staring at your wayward child. Fix your gaze on Jesus Christ. Stop staring at the health scares. Stop staring at all the threats around you. Stop staring about the what ifs and did you knows and all those things. Fix your gaze on Jesus Christ. We know who wins. And what's great about it, not only does he win, he shares in the victory with us. He tells us right here at the end of, my eyes are not working, so I can't tell. Verse 16, I'm going to hold, Miles, you hold this for me. <laughs> end of verse 16, he says, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. In our culture today, we, we look at that and we're like, oh, they're so embarrassed. Oh, man, I was wrong. That's shame, embarrassment, humiliation. But in this context, context, in this culture, shame isn't a response to an emotional thing. Shame is a response to losing. You have been conquered by Jesus Christ himself. You have hope because you have Jesus. So don't fear. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated. And don't mistake where your hope is. That's, I think, this next section, which verse 15 has been torn out of context to talk about apologetics and evangelism. I think you can make the application there, but that's not the point that it's trying to make here in 1 Peter 3. He says, okay, what I want you to do is fix uh, in your hearts, regard Christ Jesus the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And you do this with gentleness and respect and keeping a clear conscience. What he's saying is when they see you going through the persecution, when they see you going through great suffering, when they see you going through great difficulty that continues to reflect Jesus well, because that's where your eyes are affixed, they will ask, what is wrong with you? Well, what? I don't understand. I mean, you are just being wrung out, and all I am seeing is this confident expectation. Where does that come from? So, an aside, I asked you at the beginning if you've had any difficulty. Has anybody asked you about your hope? Why not? And when they do ask you about your hope, he says your answer is to be marked with a gentleness, a respect, a clear conscience. That means you don't stand on the corner of a street hollering down at people, let fire fall from heaven. It means you don't claim to be something you're not. Yes, can I tell you why? Because I am awesome. I got this all figured out. You, you don't respond to them saying, where, where is this coming from? I'm seeing you suffer, but I'm seeing all this coming out. Where is it coming from? You don't even respond to that. And hear me all the way through. You don't even respond to that, to this polished gospel presentation that has visuals and object lessons. When they ask you what the hope in you is, your answer better not be your church. And actually, it, it shouldn't even be, well, it's my faith. No, the answer when they ask you for what your hope is is, Jesus! It's it's, it's John 9. It's the man born blind when they're trying to figure it out. We saw this guy. He was begging. He was blind. This guy's standing here. He can see. Looks a lot like him. Eh, Can't be him. That guy's blind. Oh, wait. It is him. How are you not blind anymore? Jesus. 
No, that can't be because he's a sinner. And the Pharisees come in and they start trying to unpack all these things. And actually, I love John 9 because the man born blind gets a little snarky, which is awesome. I mean, they're like, they're like so, so, um, so tell us about this Jesus. And the man born blind's like, oh, uh, I guess you want to worship him too? Ooh. No, because he's a great sinner. And the man born blind says, listen, I can't answer your questions. All I can tell you is this. I was blind. Now I see Jesus is the one that did it. That's where his hope was anchored, and that's where his hope lies. That's where your hope lies. In 2020, as crazy as 2020 has been, and 2021 is looking like it could be a little sketchier. Don't allow anything else to replace your focus. Ah, time-wise, let me... Okay, let me, let me just go... So this is kind of a quote from Isaiah chapter 8. Um, Peter is kind of referring to Isaiah 8. And let me, let me read this to you, just because it helps us land where I want to land this morning. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, For this is what the Lord said to me with great power, to keep me from going the way of this people. <laughs> I read this verse in a different version this morning. This is funny. Verse 12, Isaiah 8. Do not call everything a conspiracy. <laughs> Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. <laughs> Th think about that for a minute. It says God gives peace, this sanctuary, a place of rest, even in the middle of chaos and confusion and great difficulty. And he does it with his very presence. You know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this awesome statue, has all the band get together and start playing their instruments. And at the noise, everybody is supposed to fall down in front of that statue and worship. And, and, and these Chaldeans are like, ah, now we got them. And they go to the king and say, oh, great king, you built this amazing statue. You gave this command. And I heard the trumpets go. And <gasps> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're still standing. And the king is furious. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to him. And, and, and he walks through the whole thing with them. Listen, you know, this is what I commanded, right? He's just trying to make sure that there was nothing lost in translation for these young men. And this is what you're supposed to do when you hear the band strike up. And this is what you did. So I'm going to give you another chance. And their response is, we bow to one God. You're not him. They put into practice Psalm 118 verse 6, the Lord is for me. What can mere mortal man do to me? And Nebuchadnezzar goes into a fit of rage and fires up that furnace as hot as it can get. And he grabs those three men and he throws them in the furnace immediately to see four men. Get them. Get them out of there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that you don't fear what they fear. What can mere mortal man do to me? You don't be intimidated by those who make those threats against you. You fix your focus on the one true God. Accept the consequences of your obedience to God, knowing what he has for us. And what he has for us is peace, his presence. We get to know we are not alone. 
we have a living hope because we have a, a living Savior. In fact, John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I conquered the world. You will never be alone because you have a God who will be with you for all of eternity, the God who will wipe every tear from your eye, who will bless you with his very presence. If the worst thing that can happen to you is that we get ushered into his presence a little earlier, (laughs) woo-hoo. Fix your gaze on Jesus, only Jesus. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this amazing reality that Peter was trying to remind us of. Thank you that we are not going to walk this alone. You have already promised not just your presence, but you have promised your victory. So God, I ask that you would help us to live in light of that victory, that we would continue to pursue you in the middle of our difficulty, in the middle of persecution. We do pray. We pray that persecution would be lessened. We pray that it would go away. We pray that we would continue to have the operation to worship, the, the, the opportunity to, to worship you in total freedom. But God, in the middle of difficulty, that, that will come no matter what happens. Lord, I ask that you would fill our eyes so full of Jesus Christ that we get asked regularly about the hope we have. God, I thank you. You have not called us to conquer all of these things or all of this persecution on our own. You've called us to live in your victory, so may we do that and do that well. Lord, I pray as we walk out the doors today that we would be filled full with the hope that you promised us, that hope that we have in Jesus and only in Jesus. It's in his good and wonderful and matchless name I pray. Amen.